Hello, and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. My sobriety date, John said, March 26th of 1990. I got sober just after my 21st birthday, after a couple of experiences. We'll just say, I'm not a big believer in slipping. A slip happens on a banana peel. My drunks were all calculated, planned at some point in time. Um, and that is even after I got introduced to AA. I'm, um, I'm a member of the Five Points Group in Birmingham. Those of you who know AA history might know that the Five Points Group is the oldest group south of the Mason-Dixon line. Now, I understand that this group has a 72-year anniversary this year. Bravo. That is fantastic. I love longevity. I love history of AA. And um, it's, it's really great. I'm really tickled to be here. We're sitting in the back and uh, commenting on just what a really nice, wonderful feel this room has. It has a really wonderful, homey, really great feel. Good things happen in this room. It feels, this room feels very positive to me. Good vibes. Enough of that feel good stuff. Um, <laughs> I never know what's going to happen when I do this. I was talking to a friend on the way over here and, and, and she said, so what are you going to talk about? And I said, you know, I have no idea. I said, well, what's the top? I said, yeah, I, and I didn't really know. I know we had, Lathan's been having these mini roundups. Let me give him and, and this a plug real quick. If you don't know what Alcupar is, if you're not involved and, and don't have any idea what Young People's, Alcoholics Anonymous Young People's is, is, is it's really an amazing way to get plugged in to the pulse of AA Early on, I don't know about any of you. I got so when I first started coming to meetings and first landed in treatment was in uh, I was 20 years old, and I we would go to these meetings and I would look around and I would say, "Are you kidding me? No freaking way!" Because there were guys. Less than <laughs> the amount of hair that I have today. It, I, it, I looked around and I thought, no, man, this is not where I want to be. This is not it. This is not, it's not cool enough. It's not hip enough. There aren't enough cool chicks. Or, and, 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 the music they listen to sucks. Da, 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 da. They talk about stuff, feelings. I'm not really interested in any of that. And um, basically, I didn't want to be here. You know, a lot of people get here because uh, they see the light. Others, because they feel the heat. <laughs> and my ass was on fire. And it got kicked in here. I didn't, I didn't wake up and go, you know what? My life is going so freaking good today. Everything is going so delightful. And I looked in the, 
in the yellow page and said, you know what, I think I'll try this AA thing. That didn't happen for me. I, um, I was drunk very early. I would, and, and I, I was instant alcoholic, just add alcohol. I don't think I was born with it, because there was no alcohol in my body. But the minute I had my first drunk, I was hooked. It was Saturday morning, much like today, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, before a soccer game. And I was 13, 12, 13, 14. My folks had had a party the night before. And I can't tell you why I did this, and it's irrelevant as to why in my book. But for some reason, I'm sitting there watching cartoons before a soccer game, 13, whatever, 12, 13 years old, and I look around, and I start drinking half bottles of beer, glasses of wine, whatever's laying on. I don't know why. And I did not know up to that point that I had any problems. But any problems that I had were fixed immediately right then. And I felt it. And I don't know if you've ever felt, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but you felt it, you felt it, and you went, oh my God. And it went down and went, whoosh, and everything got started to tingle, and I could feel your face get red, and I was, oh, this is fantastic. And I assure you, it didn't happen often, but I assure you, I walked around with that obsession. The big book talks about the difference between the compulsion and the obsession. I walked around with that obsession to feel that tingle, to feel that thing, to feel that for a long time. Since, since I was introduced to this. And at 13, 14 years old, most of you know, it's not easy to get booze. And we didn't have these other gentlemen thing, things back then that we could readily get as some people can get to. So that's a different story. We'll talk about that maybe in a different meeting. But I didn't have the opportunity to drink as many, as often as I wanted to, as often as I obsessed about it. But I assure you, every time I had the opportunity, boom, I was off. We would hoard. You know, and every couple of weeks we'd steal beer here, steal, you know, put a big jungle juice, uh, you know, you know, swish it around mason jar, you know. Never knew what the shit was in it, but it was good. It did it. It burned. Oh, God, it burned. It almost come back. No, just get it down. Just keep it down. And I don't know about you. I, I played soccer. And I didn't have... I, I, there was somewhere along the line. I didn't, I, I didn't... Mama didn't put me on the toilet backwards. I don't, I, I don't know what happened. But I missed it. I, I, I missed it. I missed that week of school. I missed that week of whatever it was. I missed it. And any of the tools that my friends had to do the things that people were doing, like study, like uh, do homework, like I missed it. I don't know why, and it's irrelevant, but I missed it. So when I left high school, all I could do was play soccer and drink. Somehow, some way, I went to a little school in Ohio. They accepted me. God knows why. And <laughs> Marietta College, by the way, and go blue for the rest of you. This is not an Alabama accent, probably as some of you probably have guessed. I know that's that's a shocker. 
But there's imaginary, the book talks about an imaginary line. And I don't know where yours was, but mine was right after high school. And there was no going back. There was no going back. And when I was not on the soccer field, I was drunk. And it was wake and bake. And it was, and I, I didn't, and I, the skills that other people had, my friends had that were doing things, that were going to the university and doing this, that, and the other thing, I didn't have. I did not have that set. All I knew how to do was drink. Really, all I knew. And, I'll, and my whole function, my whole being was wrapped around that. It, it now controlled what I did, who I hung out with, who I dated, who I didn't date, primarily. And at that point in time, some unfortunate, John, extremely unfortunate incidents <laughs> occurred at Marietta College. There were some misunderstandings. Something about the freshman dorm room being locked, and I didn't think it was locked, and breaking in. I don't know. I don't know what the real truth was, but I don't think I really want to know. I was a I, I was a blackout drinker, or better yet, a gray out drinker. I could see those like snapshots every third or fourth um, like picture. So I wasn't completely blacked out. Unfortunately, I remember little bits and pieces of it, but I could never put it together. And it was those parts that I missed that were really troubling, where they didn't invite me back. You know, that, that mailgram came, and they said, yeah, you know, Charles Steele, Jr., you are hereby expelled from Marietta College, blah, blah, blah. It was at Christmas time, and I thought... There must be some mistake. There has to be some kind of mistake. There must be another Charles William Field Jr. at Marietta College that got expelled. I must have been the wrong. I mean, I got the wrong one. Called no, it was not the right wrong wrong one. And I didn't understand. This was not supposed to happen to me because everybody else, all my friends were all doing their. And this was not happening to me. Something was wrong. My father looked at me and he said, "I know what you need." You need a little discipline in your life. What time do we start, Nathan? Got it. You need a little discipline in your life. I said, okay. He said, I'm going to send you to Europe for six months. I said, if you must, you must. So I spent two months in Germany, two months in France, two months in Switzerland. Drunk. <laughs> Drunk. Blacked out. Blacked out in the Alps. Climbing the freaking mountain. Blacked out in the red light district in Torino, Italy. How the hell does that happen at 18 years old? It happens to us. It happens to me. I'm gone now. I'm, there's no turning back. It's It's got a hold of me. It's got me by the, the short hairs, and I can't get away. Not even if I wanted to. And here's the thing, and the book talks about this. It's my. It's the only life that I knew. 
And I, and I couldn't get away with it. I couldn't get away from it. And I didn't have the ability to look at my life and say, here's a course of unfortunate incidents that are related to drink, that are related to blank. Maybe I should consider curbing back my drinking a little bit. I mean, hell, I'm only 18. I, I didn't have that ability. I did not have the ability to look in the mirror and see the truth about myself. I don't know if anybody else has that same problem, but that is a, I got, I still have that problem today, by the way. Some, some are sicker than others. Um, I got home, you know, and, and while I was, while I was in Europe, it was, it was the morning drink. It was three fingers just to get moving. It was, you know, beer vending machines. Who in the hell invented beer vending machines? But that is brilliant. We could make so much money here. We could, at the football stadium, that would be brilliant. You know, a little, little eye just to make sure that you're the 21 or your thumb. That, I don't know. But whoever invented these beer vending a liter of, of, of beer at lunchtime smoothed it right out. Wow. Awesome. But the problem is when you have, I'm drinking a lot now. I'm drinking a lot. And I get back home and I'm, I can't drink. I can't drink the way I, I need to drink. So what happens? I start getting DUIs. What happens? That's what happens to me. I drink. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I'm with. It doesn't matter if I'm driving. I preferred to drive, actually. Which is completely stupid. I know that. The logic does not prevail. I can't, I can't think myself into this thing. There's not a, last time I checked, the fourth edition did not have the into thinking chapter. <laughs> the first one was a misunderstanding. You know, I, I, the, the guy thought I peeled out in front of the police station. I had a hard time in front of police stations. I don't know why. There was always an issue with either sideswiping the sheriff or peeling out in front of this. I don't, and it's really stupid because you think that a guy who likes to drink so much would probably be careful. I don't know. That doesn't really happen. That, not for me. So, uh, you know, the first one was a mistake. The second one was okay. The sideswiped the sheriff. Third one was two weeks after the second one. And I'm in Lake, uh, Lake Street jail in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the bars are closing, and the jailer remembered me from two weeks ago, and he says, hey, weren't you in here two weeks ago? I said, yeah, I was in here two weeks ago. He said, don't you think you have a problem? I said, yes, sir. I got the worst luck of anybody in this <laughs> Even in jail, I am unable to see the truth about myself. 
can't do it, can't see it. I had a friend who was doing an internship at a treatment center, and I, she came and got me out of jail, and she said, I'm going to set you up with this, that, and the other thing, and, and you can go and talk to these people. And for some reason, I don't know why. I have no idea why. And I can't tell you. I don't know. But they gave me that questionnaire. And I don't remember, up until that point, I'm sure at some point in time somebody suggested it, but I don't remember anybody saying or giving me any, I don't remember ever learning anything, hearing anything about AA. I'm sure I did, but I, I don't remember, I don't, I don't recall it. And they gave me that little, that little 20, I don't, I think then it was 10 questions, but now it's like 20, whatever the hell. You know what I'm talking about. The pamphlet that says, you know, answer these questions, two of these, and you might have, you might be one of us. <laughs> Um, I aced it. It was the first time, <laughs> test I've aced in a long time. And, um, and they recommended, uh, and I didn't, I don't know what any of this stuff means. Out, outpatient therapy. Didn't sound good to me. That didn't sound good. <laughs> My lawyer said, no, 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 no. No. You either spend 30 days in a treatment center, or you spend 30 days in jail. And I had to think about that. <laughs> I honestly had to, I mean, I knew neither was good, but there was, what was the, you know, what, yeah. So, and we talk about choices. Right. Like, you guys chose to drink, whether or not, you know, like, I choose to drink or not. Not like I chose treatment, like there was a choice, and and I think that and that treatment center doesn't exist anymore. But one of the things that that it taught me one, it introduced me to our literature. Two, it introduced me to the idea that I might have a problem, and. When I left that treatment center, I'd been to, you know, a couple of meetings, half a dozen meetings or whatever. And I got this firm idea that I was going to get some, I was going to get better and I was going to come back and I was going to help these people because they were really, really sick. <laughs> I, that mirror not being able to see the truth about me, I could always see the truth about you. I could always see your problem and help you with it. Physician, heal thyself, not so much. So I, I when I was uh, I, I let go out of that place, I um, I do remember this. I do remember thinking to myself, I can't drink and drive anymore. And I came to AA, not because I wanted to stay sober, not because I wanted a, a better life for myself, not because I wanted spirituality, not because I knew that I was alcoholic and that I needed something, because I didn't want to drink and drive anymore. That was my first initial scenario with keep coming back. I didn't want to drink and drive anymore. So I was not an AA member. I was not a member. I was a visitor, which we have lots of visitors. Maybe some of you all are visitors today. Um, and what usually happens 
when we try to manage our show, when we try to arrange the lights and the scenery and the players, doesn't usually go over very well. So now I'm not drinking. I'm coming to meetings. I vaguely sense that there's something wrong. But I'm certainly not doing anything about it. I got one foot out and I got one foot in. I got one foot in whoopee parties at the college. Uh huh. <laughs> I love whoopee parties. I love them. I don't know if people do it anymore, but when I was first, that, that first couple of weeks or first couple of months, I was drinking that near beer thing. That, that, and it's fine. You could drink in like 12 of them and not get drunk. Till that day. When that obsession hit. When that obsession hit. I was in the bathroom. I have a bottle of Budweiser in one hand and I got a bottle of near beer in the other. And I'm pouring the near beer out and I'm pouring the Budweiser into the near beer bottle. (laughs) That's alcoholism. And I don't know what happened, but... I didn't drink that night. And I didn't know the I didn't I didn't know the um the importance of that evening had on my life. It's one it was one of the most important snapshots, pictures of my life that I've ever had. It is unmanageability at its finest. Absolute finest. I didn't drink that night. Um, but I did drink again. And it was in Minneapolis on a business trip, and, and I'm... Now, mind you, I'm going to meetings. I'm attending AA meetings. I'm taking up a space, a seat, and the waiter came around, when we're at dinner, and he says, hey, what do you have for dinner? I'll have the blankety bite. He says, well, what do you have to drink? And I said, well, I'll have a tangerine and tonic. <laughs> now, I have no idea what a tangerine and tonic was. I didn't know it was gin. I know that now. I hated gin. But it looked good. It had a nice bottle. It was green. It was pretty. It looked good. on the... So I had that went so well. I decided to have another. And I remember my father telling me years before, if you're going to drink, drink on a full stomach. What does it sound like? Sounds like Jim. Jim. Goes to the, you know, the roadside little sandwich shop. That's me. My last... My last drunk was in, in March of 19, 1990. And I'm not sure why this was my last one. I, I didn't see the light. I didn't say, you know what, enough is enough. I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't, nothing happened. I think that as a result of coming to meetings, 
I think there's there's an essence of what, what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous is so repetitive. And repetition for me is really very important. Because I'm not a I'm not a one time guy. I need to hear it over and 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 then over again. And I don't know why, but I was sober two months or something like that, and I'm in a speaker meeting at the Alano Club in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm sitting in the back like I always sat. Didn't talk to anybody. Drinking a cup of coffee or whatever. And it hit me again that overwhelming desire to go out and get blasted. I never thought, the idea of having a beer or a glass of wine or whatever, because I, I always drank 100% for the effect. When he says, they usually, I'm like, no, not me, dog. It's right from the get-go. I knew what it was going to do. And right, that's how I wanted to drink. I wanted to drink to oblivion, to blackout, every time. There was the perfect drunk. The perfect drunk happened in 1988 at uh, at uh, that homecoming. And I remember, because I was with my buddy Rob, and we met these chicks, and it was great. And we only drank a little bit, and it was perfect. And I didn't, sh- I didn't throw up on her shoes, and, and it was great. That was the perfect drunk. It was like... Four or five beers and two shots of tequila. That's my window. Four or five beers. And the problem is, is that every time I tried to repeat that, I ran right through the window. Couldn't stop. Couldn't control it. Couldn't enjoy it. There's somebody who said this, and you, you know this, when it, if I was controlling my, my drinking, I was not enjoying it. But when I was enjoying it, I was totally out of control. Could not control and enjoy it at the same time. At all. I'm sitting in the back of that meeting and it's hit me. And I want to get loaded. I want to get it on. And I don't know why. But the second most important thing, or another really important two minutes happened in my life, is after the meeting, I walked up to my friend Nancy and I said, Nancy, I don't know what to do. I really want to get loaded. I really want to get loaded really bad. And she asked me the strangest question anybody's ever asked me before or since. She said, have you ever asked God to remove the desire to drink from you? (laughs) Now, I've been coming for... I don't know, probably eight months, six or eight months. And I don't know that I ever registered that. And the thing, first thing out of my mouth was, why would God care if I drank or not? She said, that's irrelevant. Have you ever asked? I said, no. She said, you should probably try that. And I don't know why. I do not know why. I'm not going to question it. But for some reason, I did. And I look back, I don't know if it was two weeks or a month or two months later, and it was gone. That overwhelming desire, that thing that blocks out all reason and all sanity, 
that I always had, but I never knew existed, that obsession to drink. I never knew it existed. Why? Because I always drank. I never felt the obsession to drink, that overwhelming thing that they talk about. Why? Because I always drank. Really important. For this alcoholic was really important in my life to see that, to feel that. I um, I moved to Huntsville um, at about eight months, nine months sober. And what happened when I when I moved to Huntsville was is that I I was alone and I was sober. And the only way I knew how to really function at that point in time was being attached to AA. Because I still had not worked the step. I still had not really been thoroughly convinced. But I knew this was the best place for me. A place. I knew it was the best place. Like it was a... Like something we come to. I only find out later that AA is a verb, it's not a noun. AA is not a place we come to. AA is a way of life, it's an action. But I'm, I'm using it that way and, and I don't know, I don't know how to, to associate with other people and, and I still jumped into AA in Huntsville and that was really important for me. It was, it, it changed, it changed my life. And, it was a combination of not knowing anybody and that being the only outlet socially, that being the only outlet spiritually, emotionally, etc., etc. And at that point in time, they were they were hosting the second Alkipa uh, in '91, and they let me uh, they let me get involved in the committee, and I did I did the countdown from like you know 45 years. 30, whatever the hell it was, you know, the countdown. And I was ecstatic because I was in front of everybody and it was, and I was back on top. I had arrived. You know, I had 13, 14 months of sobriety. I got it. Back on top. And I started to go to the meetings and I started to do the, read the book. Unfortunately, you know, I had two years. Somebody starts, gives you the 12 and 12, and you start reading the traditions, and you go start to go to 12, and then you start to learn about, like, the, the traditions, and then, I, I, sorry, first person, I started to go and learn, and begin to wield my, my tradition sword around. <laughs> it always happens at, like, three to five years, if you, it, 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 it always, not always, but it happens frequently. And, um, and it's funny because, at that point in time, I, I'm I'm fully immersed in AA, but I don't have an emotional attachment to it. And I don't, if you understand what I mean by that, like it is like all encompassing my life, but I'm not really attached. I went to a a uh, circuit conference in 
uh, in Memphis, and this is like nine, fall of 91, 92 maybe, I can't remember, whatever the hell that was. Um, and I met these guys, and they were really cool, and they had cool girls, and they had cool cars, and they said, hey, why don't you come to our place, we're going to hang out, and after hours, that awesome, that sounds great. And um, we get to this guy's house, and they make coffee, and it wasn't Red Bull. What the hell were we drinking back then? I have no idea. Smoking a lot. And um, getting in this big circle. And they turned down the lights. And they lit some candles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby, we are on. <laughs> and somebody got out the book. <laughs> what a freaking drag. I was so disappointed. But again, another amazing experience was is that my what my perception of the situation was was completely wrong again. And here these guys started talking about whatever the hell they were talking about. And I'm sure for the last year before then, everybody was saying the same thing. But I was in a position to hear what they were saying. And I thought, oh my God. And, and I don't, this was not a conscious thought, but in hindsight, and this is all hindsight, This none of this stuff very rarely for me it happens immediately. It all happens as a, in hindsight, as a direct action of. And looking back, it was, oh my gosh, I can do this. I can, I can, I can be young. I can be in my early twenties. I can still have a good time. I can be with cool people. And I can live. And and I'm going to attach this. And while I don't know that this was a thought at the time, without the necessity to get loaded, because I always thought that it, I really thought that it was over for me. I really thought it was over, man. I really did. And thinking about it right now, I'm like, oh. I said, you know, I know that I can't drink, but what about beers? He said, what do you mean? I said, what about beer? It's just beer. He said, you like the taste of beer? I said, I love the taste of beer. He said, you like the taste of cold Coca-Cola? I said, I love the taste of cold Coca-Cola. He said, when was the last time you sat down and drank 13 and a half cold Coca-Colas in a row? (laughs) I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> right? Thirteen and a half. You gotta get the half in there. I what happened for me and why I want to share for the rest of the, the time, which is about fifteen minutes or so or whatever I got, um, is I want to share my experience with within the confines of of the young people's I don't want to call it the movement, the groups, whatever. The young people. And 
what it was for me and what, what it's always been for me is I didn't have any place else to go. I really didn't. I was stuck. I was stuck with one foot in college in the, in the whoopee parties. And one, and I mean that. I was really, I, and I was really doing that. And it was, cause I wanted, I still wanted to, I still wanted to have fun. I still wanted to be young. I still wanted to, to, to do, to do stuff. And I didn't want to be stuck in AA for the rest of my freaking life and be like those boring people I saw. I didn't want to do that. And all of a sudden this happened and I saw these and I met these people and at first it was like, really? None of you are taking a little nothing? 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 Well, let her, let her find out later that maybe some of them were, but that's beyond the point. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's not reality. For me, it was, I met uh, a guy named Tom H., some of you might know from Atlanta, um, who uh, invited us to come out to San Francisco for the International Young People's Conference in 1991, 91 or 92, I can't remember. And um, I said, I want to go. He said, okay. So they took the Atlanta bid committee, put me under their wing, and and uh, and showed me what Paul was all about. And what it was for me was um, a release of adrenaline, a release of energy, um, a place to find people exactly like me. And I, I identified with, I had a hard time, early on, I had a hard time identifying with the book because of its context. Because of the way it was written, because of, you know all this other, you know, and I don't mean stupid, but I, I mean real. I mean it was real because I just I I couldn't do it. And a guy named um, Jimmy in Nashville, I was at the 202 Club in 202, 204, whatever the hell it is, I can't remember, but whatever that meeting is, and um, and he's having a big book study, and he said, take a highlighter, and we're reading Bill's story, and highlight. And note, every time you either identify with what he did, thought, or felt. And I was amazed. And that was the first time that I really identified with not just you as individual members, but as, as a society. And as a whole. And what happened in in, in young people's is I took uh, that I had that foundation, and then I had people to identify with. I had I had guys who were my own age, guys who who felt the same things I did when it was who didn't want to be there either. And everybody, you know, I go and I don't know if you're in your home group it's like this. I'm really grateful. I'm Bob. I'm really grateful to be here tonight. I'm I'm. 30 days of sober, I'm at Bradford Treatment Center, and I'm just really glad to be here. And I wanted to go, Bob, you're so full of shit. You don't want to be here any more than I do. You do not want to be here. 
What you should do is shut the hell up, <laughs> sit there, and maybe something will change for you. Probably won't, though. Probably won't. We were talking in our pre-meeting meeting, which was actually good. Well done. Um, in our pre-meeting meeting, we were talking about trying to change I don't have the ability to do that. I do not have the power to do that. Can't do it. Wish I could. I do not. If I had the power to change, if I had the ability to change, if I had the honest desire to change, I would not need you. I would not need our program. Flat out. I need it because I can't do it on my own. My answer to that is, unfortunately, what the gentleman was talking about, and I'm sorry that he's gone. I'm going to try to change the conditions. I'm going to try to change AA. I'm going to try to change the group. I'm going to try to change the way people think. I'm going to try to change the tradition that is Alcoholics Anonymous. Not Alcoholics and uh, Anonymous. Not Alcoholics Anonymous and some other stuff Anonymous. I don't know about you, but there's a, uh, a prevalence in my, in my little area. And I don't know where, the, well, I do know exactly. It's, they, they use, some folks use the, the term the solid form of alcohol. Write this down. There is no such thing. In other words, pills, whatever, da da da. A solid form, like trying to to bring. To, to, <coughs> we don't do that here. We don't do that here. We don't have the answer for that here. Now you may find the answer to that here. as a result of. But we, as Alcoholics Anonymous, as a group, as a society, as a functionary, do not have an answer for that. We have an answer for alcoholism. And then as a result, after that, we also have some other, an answer for other things. Maybe that's your own personal experience. It's my personal experience. My personal experience is that Alcoholics Anonymous and the function of the program and their traditions can be applied in all and virtually all aspects of my life. And I also hear things like uh, alcohol. And the book says it, but, it, but it's, we say it out of context. Alcohol was just a symptom of my problem. It was a up symptom then. <laughs> I don't want that symptom anymore. It'll always be a badass symptom for me. And if I forget that, I am doomed to repeat that. Look around. Look around. They're not here anymore. 
the um, the truth is, well, first of all, anything you've heard today is out of an alcoholic's mouth. <laughs> so it's probably you can identify with it. Cool. If you can't, that's awesome too. Come back, you know, in a couple hours and. John or somebody else will tell you something else. It'll probably be better. Chase will probably crap on my parade, but that'll be all right. I, I don't know. I don't know what your solution needs to be. I know what mine is. Mine has stayed the same. The solution to my problem has stayed the same. The solution to my scenario has stayed the same. I have not needed to, although I have tried a numerous case. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.